Welcome, everybody. I am Jesse Mogul, and thank you for joining us on the American Contingency Podcast. We are a united nationwide community of steadfast Americans ready for any challenge that comes our way. We inform, equip, and train so you can prepare, respond, and recover from any man-made or natural disaster or situation. And once again, we are bringing an amazing guest to you all today. He is in charge of the state of Missouri. He is the South Regional Communications Coordinator in his previous life before American Contingency. He's a former Marine, retired law enforcement officer and emergency manager. He handles the American Contingency South Regional Communications. Uh, 35 years, he was almost aghast when he realized he has 35 years of experience in the emergency communications world. Uh, Over 100 natural disasters he's helped people through. He's been in countries all over the world doing this work. He is so happy and I'm so excited to share Cecil Higgins with you today. Welcome to the show, Cecil. Well, glad to be here. This is excellent. And I was just telling you pre-microphone that I am not the best at writing the um, American contingency stories about communications because I run into a lot of, okay, well, there's walkie-talkies and there's ham radios. So we've got a lot to talk about on that front. But my opening question for everybody who comes on the show who is associated with the American contingency is, what got you involved in American contingency? Well, you know, I've been looking looking for something that, that was just basically non-existent out there for a long time. And I happened upon Mike Glover's podcast about American contingency. And uh, I got to listen to that. And that's actually what guided me to American contingency. And when I started looking at it and checked everything out, I thought, yeah, this is, this is where I want to be. Are you the first person who did not first find the get off the bench video in order to get involved with American contingency? Actually, I guess I am because uh, I didn't see that one until everybody was telling me about it. And I went back and watched it. Uh, you know, what got me going was uh, when Mike was talking about American contingency and what they what they were doing. Uh, it just happened. I happened upon a podcast of his. Uh, I've watched Mike for a long time, but I missed that get off the bench one, I guess. So I just it, it's, I knew eventually I'd get somebody on the show who get off the bench was not their first taste of it. So it was finding him on social media, hearing his because oh, he's done a couple podcasts before we launched this version of American Contingency, being involved in, in the way that you are now and helping with the emergency comms there, not just in Missouri, but in the entire South region. You know, when you look at what originally inspired you to join and then how you've been able to use your talents out here, you know, in the real world experiences with American contingency, uh, where are you finding that you've been able to make the biggest difference? Well, you know, the, the biggest difference has come from uh, bringing what I know to those that, uh, that I can contact in the South region and put that forward. And basically what that means in a nutshell is this, uh, you know, I know what it looks like to be in a disaster without any communications or getting any help. I know what that looks like. And I know how important that is. And helping around in the South region um, has actually been a blessing because we, we, I've talked to many great MCON members and helped them with figuring out what type of radio they need or what type of, of, antenna or coax or you know just small things to help them get on the air and get them up and running um there's a lot behind the scenes that goes on 
Uh, I know that. And, and when you're helping so many people, it's hard to be available to everybody like you'd like to be. But, you know, um, I, I take them as I get them and knock them down that way, help as much as I can. So, what are some? Well, I mean, you mentioned pre microphone before we hit record that you had uh, been involved with that Joplin tornado. What's a, some, uh, maybe may the answer to this question, a specific example of when you, as Cecil Higgins, along with American Contingency, were able to provide support to a local community going through a natural or man made disaster? Well, you know, the first thing we want to do, you know, in any disaster, you take care of your household first, then you take care of your neighbors. But uh, in a situation, if you want to go back to that particular disaster, um, we were already a radio community in Missouri, in that district. And we had already set up some radio teams to respond to any kind of disasters that happened in our district. and. Um, to be blunt, I'm watching the radar and I'm seeing these storms collide and all of a sudden this ginormous white ball appears in the middle of this storm on my radar. And I knew then this is a major tornado and a major hit. And, uh, you know, years of working with National Weather Service chasing storms and doing storm reports for them and emergency radio for them and stuff. You know, we have been taught and know how to read these radar indications. And then, you know, and they're, they're not hard. A lot of people know. But once we got down there, I'll put it this way. Once we got down there, uh, we were down there for 11 days. And we we had ham radio with everyone because no the FEMA brought down a $2.5 million communications trailer. It didn't work. Ham radio was the only communications for 11 days. Uh, we pulled 4,000 people out of the rubble. Unfortunately, we lost 162. Um, you know, it was just real tough. It was just tough doing that. But the important thing is, you know, getting yourself prepared before something happens, not waiting till or after, because then it, then it's too late. You're playing catch up and, and you're really behind the ball then. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to do to prepare for a natural disaster, man-made disaster. And then even in the aftermath, you can look around and see that you're not as prepared as you'd prefer to be. What is AMCON doing to work with the local communities and organizations there in Missouri and the South to build up resiliency and to build up preparedness within the community? Well, you know, what I like about AMCON is they have a lot of information available online. So it's easy for me to direct people who are asking questions to the two things like what they call the SOI, the operating um, manual that we have. Uh, we can direct them to videos. We can direct them to different things on our, our website. But the biggest thing is the personal information exchange between myself and those who are coming on board and those who are already on board and and since I am comms, I'm, I have to talk primarily toward comms. But as far as American contingency, we've gotten uh, people interested in talking among themselves and in talking to the regions above them a lot more than they were before I came on. Uh, and that's a that's an MCON wide move to do that. Um, and it's so important because you know getting getting folks involved 
with communications, one lets them learn that they've got neighbors they didn't know they had. Yes. So, so allowing, you know, MCON really works well at bringing communities together just by the design that it has. And then the people, there are so many good people working for American contingency. It's hard to say, you know, just the South region. I mean, MCON does a great job organization-wide to connect people, to give them the kind of training or, or information or tell them who they can talk to to get that information than any organization I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of, a lot of government agencies and, and AMCON does this much better than anything I've seen. Is AMCON focused on tailoring its approach there in the South and even specifically to Missouri, since that's where you live, we know that there's a lot of unique needs that they might have in the South compared to the Pacific Northwest, the Southwest or the Northeast, or even in the Midwest states. What are some ways that you've been able to tailor along with AMCON to the specific needs of your community and state? Well, you know, each area has got their own challenges. Northwest and, and Southwest, you know, you got a mountain range somewhere in there in the middle. So, you know, you got to worry about, you know, if they're 10 miles away, they may have to take a 50 mile long road to get to each other, you know, and mountains being in the way. Now, in Missouri, we don't have that so much until you get down to the south part of Missouri. Then you have what they call the Ozark Mountain Range. Uh, it goes into Arkansas, Boston Mountains and stuff. But, you know, as far as tailoring things to to our specific region, it goes day by day because it depends on what the problem is we're having. You know, like today, perfect example, we have solar sunspots going on. We have solar weather going on. So, you know, we try to teach operators, the radio operators, our net control stations and stuff, how to operate through those kind of difficulties. So when a an emergency does happen, if something like this happens, then they're good. You know, they, they can figure it out. Now, as far as tailoring to the region on the south, you know, we, we try to make sure that we have our our, our HF nets, our digital nets. Um, we, of course, we do the Zello, which isn't exactly uh, any kind of radio stuff, but it, it works it works very well. So it's one of our primary communications. Um, we set up days that we contact in the south, you know, that these nets go. We set up uh, communications between each other from time to time, just to see. I'll, a lot of times I'll set up communications with uh, Scott or someone down in Texas, and we'll see what, what our equipment is doing and see how, how it's performing under certain conditions. Um, so, you know, and, and I may not have answered your question fully, um, but, you know, it, it really does depend on the weather, on, you know, it, it's crazy. Uh, weather affects it. Solar weather affects it. Terrain affects it. So as you move around in our, in our region, you're going to have to adjust your communications capabilities if you want to contact local people according to those specifications. And we try to teach that to all of our radio operators how to do that. You mentioned something that sparks my curiosity. Was it Scott down in Texas? Yes. So do you set up your, I mean, 
sounds like you have your operation pretty much ready to go at any point in time. Whenever bad weather is coming into Missouri or into Texas around you all, do you specifically get on then to practice utilizing the equipment in these uh, bad weather scenarios so that you know, oh, wow, okay, when, you know, bad storms are rolling through coming at my house, this stuff is still working because it sounds like you put a lot of uh, practice into the preparation of knowing that your equipment is ready to go when you need it. Well, and, and that's important. That's the most important aspect of communications is keeping your, your, your equipment current and keeping it uh, operational. You know, you need to know, do I have an antenna problem? And the funny thing is, you know, the antenna, if you have a problem, it's going to be the worst, worst time possible. It happens almost every time. But as far as, as far as, you know, the question you asked, we don't, if we know that we have a severe storm coming in, we don't usually get on then because we don't want to interfere with anything that might happen due to the storm. In other words, what I'm saying is we can get on when there's storms going on around us because like HF, you'll pick up those thunder crashes. I'll pick them up in Alabama. I'll pick them up in the East Coast and West Coast over my radio. You still have to work through those same scenarios. But the thing about it is if we've got something coming up in our actual region, we don't try to get on the radio to practice because if a tornado is spawned or we have a straight line wind issue that wipes out or we have a microburst that wipes out of town, which you know I've seen that happen, um, you don't want people thinking that you're practicing when you're trying to call and give real information. I love that we're diving into this deeper. Uh, I know a lot of people within the AMCON community are already involved in ham radio operations. That's a big, it's a big conversation. I, a lot of people have I've recently gone off and gotten their licenses and have posted them over on our Facebook group. When you talk with just the everyday average American Joe or Jane citizen who has no interest in learning ham radio operations, or at least it doesn't have an interest because they think it sounds super complicated. Um, how do you talk to them about emergency communications if they don't have a ham radio operator's license or have any background with that? I mean, do walkie talkies work? Do they have ones that will work across town? So if you're separated from your spouse or family members, 15 miles away, you can be on a walkie talkie. I mean, where is technology bringing emergency communications toward? That is a million dollar question and very huge. Uh, I'll start with this. You go to Walmart, you can get an FRS radio. You can get your ham radios that will do different frequencies and stuff. Uh, FRS radios are very low powered radios. They're good for line of sight, which means basically pretty close. If you can see it, that's about as far as you can talk to it. Uh, if you got any hills or anything in your way, you're probably not going to get out. Uh, the, next, the next thing up would be GMRS which is General Mobile Radio Services. Um, it requires a license. You can purchase that license for $35, good for 10 years, and does not require a test to get the license. You simply send your money in, they'll send you a license. Uh, the thing about those two are they are great for, for very local use, okay? GMRS can... Well, let me say it this way. FRS radios, you can't put up a repeater for. GMRS radios, you can put up a repeater. So you can extend your range quite a bit, uh, depending on how high your antenna is for your, for your uh, GMRS setup. But you still can't talk to the next day. 
you still can't talk. If you're in the south part of the state, you're not going to talk to the north part of the state. Now, granted, there are some what they call linked repeater systems. Matter of fact, Missouri has built a robust one here after that tornado um, that you can link together and talk on two meters or 440, which is VHF, UHF for ham radio. You can talk statewide if you can link, but for the most part, no one can talk outside your state. That's where HF voice communications comes in. That's where the digital HF stuff comes in because we can send messages over over something like they call packet or FL Digi or JSA call or Winlink or whatever. You can send it via radio signal outside of your disaster if you're in a disaster. And you can ask for help. Okay. Now local wise, what you were talking about, yeah, those two, FRS and GMRS are probably going to be the easiest local communications if you don't get a ham radio license. But if you get a ham radio license, you've got ham radio repeaters all around you in just about everywhere in the US anyway. There are some places that don't have it, but for the most part, it's a it's that is also a robust local system is usually VHF, UHF. Ham, ham communications as well. Man, you are a wealth of knowledge on this. I am so glad you're an Amcon. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the website earlier, having a ton of information on it that you can always direct, uh, you know, potential new members or anybody with a question to, so they can, you know, ha- have it at their disposal anytime they need it. Our website has a lot of information on ham radio operations and such, doesn't it? Because of the, you know, with fervor i mean really people get excited talking about ham radio operations well yeah it does and the wonderful thing is we have we have what they call a wiki that's set up by the ahrn side of amcon which is the american contingency ham radio network that's what it stands for ahrn Uh, we have a wiki that talks a lot about all the communications and stuff and how we perform it and you know it, it has right now the the SOI undergoing a makeover. It's an update is what it is. And it will, it does now and will have, even if they change, it will have frequencies and stuff where we can be found in general operation. If something happens and say we have a nationwide disaster or one that you know impacts a good part of the nation or whatever, all of these frequencies will be in that SOI. And I recommend people go on there and print that off and if you run radios, then you have that radio information in front of you. You don't have to worry about not having it because the internet's down now. And, you know, we do, they can listen to the practice nets. They can listen to everything or they can join in. I, there, we, everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. We don't turn anyone away, you know, and don't feel like, oh, I'm new, so I don't know what I'm doing. Well, the only way you're going to learn is to get in there and do it. Mm-hmm. So by all means, jump in, feet first, get in those nets, start talking to people, get in that Zillow net, get in whatever you've got. Yes, we are very open to teaching, right? If somebody, you know, um, I say on one of my other podcasts, you know, stand up, step forward, I'll call on you at your turn. That's very much an American contingency belief system as well. It's like, if you're willing, if you want to learn and you approach, we will be more than happy to teach. I, I completely agree. I've been an instructor for, oh my God. You know, in my age, you know, for almost 40 years in various different things, everything from law enforcement tactics to communications to ham radio to, uh, you know, you name it, uh, firearm or whatever. I, I've My life has been in 
trying to further my community and the people around me in the betterment of their lives and how to keep it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, at my age, now I'm retired, you know, I can dedicate quite a bit of time to something like American contingency. And I try to, um, the big thing is this, you know, everyone has to understand that that training is on our website. That training is there, or you can ask where you can get training. And a lot of us can direct you to the training you're asking about. And, you know, definitely take advantage of that. I, I would say definitely take advantage of that. Yeah. Yes. Cause it's there. The information is there. Uh, completely oddball question, but since we were talking about walkie talkies earlier, um, there's a TV show I watch called Fear the Walking Dead. And they often have these really big walkie talkies that they seem to be able to use and just magically talk to people that are 100 miles away. Is that really a thing? Are they using some sort of satellite? Is that what they're supposed to be trying to convince us? Is, is satellite communications via walkie talkie really a thing? Because I asked for the random person who might be listening to this show is like, but I see them on TV pulling out walkie talkies talkies and they talk to somebody who's so far away is that a real thing or is that just hollywood makeup yes and no <laughs> yeah <laughs> hollywood makeup and no some of it is actually actually out there uh there are walkie talkies that can't that have satellite communications built into them that you can access uh a lot of the handheld walkie talkies that uh you see out are obviously VHF, UHF short range, but there are a few that actually are high frequency HF that talk on the HF bands. Now they're low powered, so they would be what they call QRP. Uh, but you know, they're talking 10 watts, 15 watts, and you know, you can hook that antenna up to that handheld radio. It looks like a giant tree, and you really can talk states away. You know, but, you know, you're also subject to propagation. You're subject to a lot of stuff, you know, atmospheric uh, isolation. So, yeah, I mean, you get into a lot of craziness. But is it possible to have a walkie-talkie that would do that? Yes, it is. Is it probable or likely? Not really. Yeah. That's what I think, too, when I'm watching this. And I'm like, you know, the timeline is this is about 17 years after the the zombie apocalypse came. I'm like, I highly doubt they're still running around. Like, they all magically have... (laughs) 15 of these things that everybody's using. Um, if somebody's interested in ham radio operations, what would be their buy-in for this? If they're looking to buy up the equipment just to get started as a novice? Well, I mean, just to get started, you can you can buy some of the Bofang ham helds or some of the other Retivas or uh, they call it Oshwan, but it starts with a W. Um, you can buy some of those for as little as 20 bucks. Oh, and, okay. And have a programmable dual band handheld that you can get started. Uh, you could get a couple of those, and you and whoever else is in your hand, household could do that. They could put up a simple little antenna outside of what they call a push up pole, and they can connect that handheld into it and extend the range. You know, for less than 150 bucks, they could actually be talking for, you know, a few miles away, you know, probably five to eight. You know, in a, in a, and if they're in a real flat country, maybe up to 12 on handheld alone just by doing that. 
That's pretty spectacular because if somebody lives, you know, if they're in a smaller community or their their kid's school isn't too far away and their workplace, I mean, oh, you start talking 12 miles, that can be a pretty good distance for some people who might work close to home, kids are close to home. Like that's a lot of communication opportunities uh, for that short range that could actually be very beneficial, you know, post or pre or during storms. Yeah, well, you know, for an example, I can say here in my home and I live on near a lake, Palmetto Lake in Missouri. And Springfield, Missouri is 54 miles away. And I, the, the way the, the repeaters are set up, I can get into the repeaters with my handheld and talk to people in Arkansas. And, you know, I'm up in middle Missouri. Well, that's because a robust system has been built. You know, starting out, you're obviously not going to have that. But what they need to understand, and here's, here's some of the advantages to the ham radio side of this versus just the FRS, DMRS side. With ham radio, there's likely repeaters set up or near area that you're going to be able to hit. And it, it, that extends your, your mileage, you know, ex- exponentially. I mean, you, you know, like I said, they're 54 miles away from my home, and I can talk to them like you and I are talking on this on my radio, my handheld radio at 5 watts, because the tower, the antenna is way up the tower and everything else, so it's no problem. It, it, it's up high enough that it becomes what they call line of sight to the radio. Uh, you know, it's been brought above all the hills and the trees and the buildings and everything else. Now, you know, that's the plus for the ham radio side, one of many, I would say. Um, I, have an, I have a GMRS license. I have the amateur extra license, which is the, the highest license you can get for amateur radio. And the reason I have both is because it's it's a toolbox you know you reach into it you get the tool you need for the moment well that tool's not working so i need to revert to this other tool you know i won't tell anyone you know a lot of people will say okay well that's internet based and you can't depend on that or anything else well to be to be honest you can't depend on very much of anything as a 100 for sure thing some things get up into 90 percent, which makes them obviously a better tool but bottom line, uh, you know, the more tools you got in your toolbox, as far as, okay, I've got GMRS, I've got DMR, which is, which is internet-based, like I was saying. A lot of people say, well, I don't want internet-based. Well, you know, put it in your toolbox. If you need it and it works, then it's there. But if it don't work, you move on to the next thing it does. You know, being a Marine, I, I've heard this, you know, all my life since then, too. But, you know, I don't know what branch of service or whatever brought it on. But, you know, the old saying, two is one, one is not. You don't want me to line up how many handhelds I have. Right? <laughs> I mean, you know, I'd be like, I like 15 is 10 and, you know, 10 is two and two is one. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> and mobile units. I've got mobile units in every vehicle I have. I've got mobile units in go boxes. I've got HF units that I can carry with me that can do HF voice or HF digital. You know, a lot of people say, well, you're just a nut. Well, okay, maybe, but I have yet to have a problem communicating in any disaster I've been in. Now, I've had some challenges to get it done, but I've never had a problem getting it done, if that makes sense. 
Yes. And I think after a hundred natural disasters, you had mentioned, you know, at the beginning that you had been through a lot of different disaster scenarios and you've helped with them all around the world. I think somebody like you having 30 who sees them as 15, who sees them as seven, who sees it as three, which is three is two and two is one and one is none. You're like, yeah, maybe I need another handheld. Uh, And I love that you can actually do ham radio with just a handheld because in my head, it still looks like that old ham radio operation. My grandpa had it up in the attic with, you know, the whole setup and the microphone, the old school, like, no, it's actually been, you know, turned into a very mobile device that people can go off and get their hands on for 20, 30 bucks. And if there's enough repeaters around, which is just repeating the signal down the line, all of a sudden you're talking to a town 54 miles over and you have a lot more communication opportunities, which means you just have a lot more information. Why does communication matter? Well, information matters and information about what's going on in the community, you know, two cities over might very much be beneficial if you're looking for other people who have prepared to respond and recover and you're looking to gather people up to help with resources in your own community. Over a hundred of these things, Cecil, what is the one thing you have noticed that communities, no matter how much they feel like they've prepared, are not actually prepared for? when it gets into the aftermath? What is something you have specifically seen that seems to be like a repeating pattern of things that weren't ready when they needed to be ready? Well, the biggest problem that I see is you get towns and counties and states that they come up with these plans, these emergency plans, they tabletop exercise them to death, then they'll go out and maybe do a couple of live exercises. And then when something happens, it completely breaks down. And the problem with that is their plan is too stringent. It's too stiff. It can't be flexible. The best plan is to generally cover the ideal, what you need to do. And then if something happens, you adapt that plan to suit the circumstances you're in to make it work. Mm-hmm. It has to be pliable. It has to be flexible. That's the biggest problem I've seen in a lot of a lot of these disasters we go into. They go in with this ideal and 10 minutes into it, they're like, holy hell, that ain't gonna work. Days, like, what's going on? You know, so uh the next thing I would say as far as people, you were talking about, and I have to go back to something you said earlier. You were talking about how you know information is is knowledge, but it's also comfort. When people can hear what's going on. You can reduce the panic in a situation immensely. Oh, well, here's what's going on over on Fifth Street, and we're coming this way, and you can do this by doing this. And people know it's there because they can hear it. They can respond to it. That's the biggest asset communications in a in a any kind of emergency situation. You want to know your family's okay. You want to know where the shelters are. You want to know where food is. You want to know where help is. If you're trapped in rubble and you know, you've had your radio with you before something happened and blew your house down, you can still try to communicate. You can let them know where you're at. You can let them know where to dig. I mean, and that sounds crazy, but I've had that happen. Yeah. So it may not just be sound crazy. It may actually just be a fact of disaster. Yeah. The better you prepare yourself, the better off you are, but don't put a plan in that's so stringent that you can't be flexible. 
I love the bringing in that idea of your plan is too rigid, then you've already set yourself up for some modicum of failure. And I believe Tom Grigsby brought up at the beginning of one of those episodes he was in at the beginning of the podcast, plans are worthless, but planning is priceless. This idea, you've got to have a plan that you can flex from. But if your plan is so rigid that as soon as something you know gets in the way that is unforeseen, which a tornado comes and wipes out a city, there's going to be a lot of unforeseen there. So you want to have some flexibility built into the plan. And that clearly is something that you have noticed as a pattern with communities for building out a plan, but the rigidity, the the lack of flexibility has caused them a lot of hurdles when it came to execution of that plan. Well, I agreed. And, you know, my biggest complaint would be responses to hurricanes. Okay. We usually have a decent amount of um, notice, certainly, that a hurricane is on its way. Now, we may not know exactly where it's going to hit till the day before, and I understand that. But it seems to me that so many of our, our cities and, and hurricane possible coastline don't really prepare their citizens enough to to know how to get out, you know, and I, you know, I was in Katrina. I'll, I'll tell you right up front. You want to talk about the picture of, of a fiasco. Katrina was most certainly that, you know, we had failures to get people out of town that should have been out. And, and you know, yes, New Orleans was there. Yeah. Uh, man, you know, we were telling, we were telling them, look, you got to get these people out of here. You can't let them stay in this, this superdome. You can't let them stay in these shelters. You can't let them, these are going to flood. We're going to, you know, we're not going to be able to get to them after this is over for days. You know, we're not even going to be able to fly anything in because loose debris will be flying around and it's an endangerment to any kind of helicopter you'd want to fly in to drop anything. So it gets crazy. And people don't think about that. They think, oh, well, the next day they'll just bring in a helicopter and they'll drop this. Well, you know, if you're in an area that the debris is so bad, helicopters have to hover to drop equipment and they blow up debris. You know, anybody who's been in the military, been around them, knows exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Been around them in civilian life knows what I'm talking about. But the bottom line is, you know, you can't you can't say, well, they'll come get me afterwards because as they learned. You, we can't come and get you afterwards. It's going to take days. We want to spend money on a lot of silly things to beauty this or beauty that, which I've got no problem with that. Once your emergency stuff has been settled and the money that needed needed to allocate fuel for buses or whatever is set in place, then that makes sense to me. You know, beautify whatever. But what good is having a pretty place going to be the day after a hurricane wipes it off the face of the map and now we can't get to you you know your children nobody wants to see look i gotta be blunt about this one nobody wants to see their children hungry nobody wants to see their children injured and not be able to get help no one wants so we need to we need to be smarter about this we need to prepare better we need to to teach better and that's what i love about american contingency that's what they're doing yeah that's why i love what we're doing here so yeah that's yeah, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> There's so much knowledge you have that I still feel like we haven't had a chance to touch upon. But 
people who listen to this show are coming here to learn more about disaster preparedness and emergency response. And for the novices out there, you know, and anyone who just is always looking for more information to feel complete about what they are doing to prepare, what resources or tools do you recommend for those um, who are wanting to have that preparedness, that readiness, who want to learn more? What is a resource or tool that you would direct them to getting their hands on immediately, regardless if they're a novice or if they're an expert in this? Well, the first tool is going to be make a plan. That's the first tool. Make a plan to take care of your family. And then once they're secured, make a plan that can take care of your neighbors. But then you need to start looking at, in that plan, you need to have water. You need to have food. Now, FEMA will tell you for three days. I'm going to tell you no less than seven. Because I've seen FEMA get on site and still not get to people for few days because have seven days of water seven days of food available and you know you don't have to you don't have to be eating fair pork ribs you know just whatever it is you know make get you that much food and water put back get you a radio of some kind communications 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 do not rely on your cell phone if you have cell phone connection zello is great i love zello it works great it's a wonderful tool but if you have no cell phone connection, then you need another way of talking. So you need to look at who's the ham clubs in my area, who's the GMRS radio clubs in my area, you know, who are the, who is in my town or in my neighborhood who does radio? Who can we hook up with? Who can we build a network with? Build those networks, let you, you know, you want someone outside of your area, way outside of your area that you can contact with where you can either call them on the phone or has another ham radio or whatever that you can call them to let them know how you're doing, what your status is. You need to be able to contact outside of the disaster where you were at. So plan somebody who's out of state or something just to be able to talk to them at a certain time and on a certain way. If Say, well, if you don't hear me on the phone by 9 o'clock, then 9.15, get on this frequency on the radio and listen for me. Of course, that's an HF radio. Okay, that's what it's going to take. But you can make these connections all through Amcon because we have all kinds of HF operators and stuff. So we can we can make these connections with friends and family. You know, uh, water, food, communications, shelter. You got to figure out. Hey, my house is no longer standing. Or what am I going to do? Okay, well, you know, have you some form of shelter that you can carry on your back? You know, if you got a couple people, then tent will work. If you've got five or six kids and everything else, a bigger tent, maybe split the load between you, your wife, you and your oldest son or your oldest daughter, whatever, whoever's, whoever's could carry the other half, split that load and then take care of yourself. You know, get, get out of where you're at, get yourself to a location, you know, and if you know a disaster's coming, know where your local shelters are, know where they're at. You know, now out here where I live, the nearest shelter to me is, either ditch or the cellar in the backyard you know there's no shelter down here in the middle of nowhere so for those folks that listen to this they're out in the middle of nowhere you know to prepare a place to go make a place for you to go take shelter and then come out and take care of the world after you know those are all big tools because those things the sense of of being able to overcome a disaster weighs heavily into the psychological mindset of surviving that disaster. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you're preparing yourself, you're preparing your mind to come out and prevail in harsh situations. And your, your mental mindset is every bit as important as your physical. So, yeah, that's what I would say. Those are the main tools you're going to need to get through a disaster. I love it. That's a great list for people to start off with. Water and food for seven days. I love bringing up the radio. I know I have a hand crank one, so it doesn't rely upon batteries because uh, I know you know that's important. You had mentioned that somewhere during this podcast, you know, people having a radio, there's a certain amount of comfort. And I remember as a kid back when, you know, AM, FM transistor radios were in every single house is being downstairs in the basement, listening to the radio about the tornado that was going through the town and just being comforted just knowing that there was a voice outside of this little basement room that we were all in that just could give us information so we knew where the tornadoes were and what was going on. So I know if that was a tremendous amount of comfort as an eight-year-old, I could only imagine how much it would still be a comfort. We've discussed Zello again, ham radios. You mentioned that you can get into that with 20, 30 bucks and be able to get something that with the right repeater in the in your environment, next thing you know, you're getting many miles away. So there's lots of opportunities for people to be able to get in to this preparedness game with minimal financial investment right out the gate. You know, when we talked to Kevin out and he had discussed having some items that uh, it took him years to get into his arsenal, but now he's very happy that he's got, you know, the, the freeze dryer or the, the really amazing generator. This podcast can reach the whole country, at least via the internet, as long as that's up. You have an opportunity to share your message to anyone who's listening right now. This is my megaphone question. Uh, what is a message that you would want the country to hear from you, Cecil, about your experiences with with AMCON or just disaster preparedness in general? Well, disaster preparedness in general is a never-ending preparation. You got to cycle in new food for old food and such as that, old, new water for old water, such as that. You know, get you something that you can listen to. My main message would be this. No matter what, network, network, network. In other words, make sure that there's somebody else besides you that you can talk to, that you can get involved with, that you can work with, start a local team, start a local chapter, whatever. Move your way up. Learn to talk to the people outside of where you're at. Uh, learn, you know, take advantage of every training thing that we have available in Amcon or other places. There's, there's other places that, that have plenty of training as well. You know, you can never have too much of that. You know, you, Take what you can use and the rest leave behind, you know, but do it, you know, make sure you have a plan, absolutely have a plan, have some kind of battery, solar crank, uh, crank charge radio that you can listen. If nothing else, you can hear what's going on. You can find out different information, even if you can't, you know, it doesn't transmit, but make sure, you know, get yourself in a position where you can have a transmitter. You know, the biggest thing about, communications and, and i have to harp on that because that's pretty much what i do the rest of the stuff you know there's a lot of people who do it and i'm sure you'll be interviewing plenty uh, communications is your way to let the world know you're alive mm-hmm. it's a way to learn what the world is doing around you it's a way to learn what storms or what part of the world's coming toward you so you can prepare to do whatever you need to do in that case um the bottom line is food will sustain you. Water will sustain you. Panic can set in easily if you don't have a way to have 
information coming into you. That is the biggest asset to a radio. Your talent lies in that emergency communications. When we had Denny G on a few episodes ago, he talked about how the beautiful thing about American contingency is that you don't have to be a quote unquote expert in all 12 categories that each of us brings a specific level of talent and skill and mastery to the categories. And when you get involved in our American contingency network and you're on the website and you're involved with your local and your city and your state chapters and your regionals, that you learn more about what other people are bringing. And you're able to learn from them, but at the same time, utilize them in these situations. It's been absolutely fantastic having you come on and share your wealth of knowledge about the emergency communications. I just can't thank you enough, Cecil, for spending your time with me today and sharing with the rest of the American contingency community your knowledge on emergency communications and, and just how much they can actually get involved. It's been fantastic having you here. Oh, well, thanks for having me aboard. You know, any way I can help, you know, feel free. I mean, if you decide you want to do something, you know, communications directly related, let me know. We'll, oh. we'll figure something out. Uh, oh, we will. Great. <laughs> yeah, this has been great. I appreciate you having me on. I really do. I mean, again, just the pleasure is all mine. I will make sure that I let Denny G know that I've spoken with Cecil Higgins, an emergency communications expert. Over a hundred places you have helped through emergency disaster responses. Uh, it's, you know, whether it's the retired law enforcement, the former Marine in you, it's just such a, a blessing to have you in the AMCON community. You just keep doing amazing work. I have no doubt this will not be the last time that we come across each other. I look forward to the next time we have a chance to hop on a microphone and share with one another. Well, I, I appreciate that, but I'll tell you what, what you're doing here is just as important as anything I could do. So thank you for taking the time to get this stuff out there to folks who need it. We appreciate what you do. So thank you. AMCOM, baby. Together, we achieve more. We like to say that we cover all the categories in our own way. And uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome being on the same team with you, Cecil. So if you want to be a part of the American Contingency Network, all you need to do is jump over to AmericanContingency.com, become a member. We have a wealth of knowledge, not just on emergency communications and ham radio operations, but we have a ton of trainings. We have a ton of people who are involved in our network. Who are ready to assist you where you need to grow and evolve so that you can be prepared to respond and recover. That's it, my friends. It has been a blessing to have you here for another 30 minutes or a little bit more. Cecil and I really got into it today. You absolutely are more prepared to bring a little bit more certainty into an uncertain world. So when you're ready to build the skills, the network, and the confidence to be ready for whatever comes next, join us at AmericanContingency.com. I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.